Hey, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you decided to be a part of our online campus today. You know, we love Summit Church and we love you being a part of Summit Church and we're just so thankful for our online campus and that we can do that. You'll notice that our surroundings are just a little bit different today. Uh, we have the privilege because of uh, the generosity of the church during vision offering uh, to install brand new carpet in our main auditorium and the lobby and and uh, the rooms adjacent to the main auditorium. It's very exciting and we're so glad that we're doing that. But because of that, we can't be in the main auditorium right now. We're filming from our Jump Kids Auditorium. So that's why it looks a little bit different. But we're so glad that you're here with us today. And I would just say welcome to all those who, it may be your first or second time here with us at Summit Church. And thank you so much for being a part and just know that we want to connect with you here at Summit. We're all about relationship and about connection. We really believe that's how things work. That's how things in the kingdom grow and develop. And we're all better when we're together. And so I just want you to know you can you can feel free to connect with uh, the hosts on uh, your campus, this online campus, and just really uh, uh, connect so that we can serve you the best way possible and you can see how to do that on the screen. So I just want to say thank you, man. I'm so excited that next week, next Sunday night, starts our family conference. Now listen, if I know that you're normally on Church Online, but this is something that I would highly encourage you to come on out for and uh, this is going to be uh, tomorrow night, and I'll tell you what. Right there in the in the comments right now, you're gonna get um, you're gonna find the link to register for the conference. I, I'm highly encouraging you to register for this conference. I really believe this with all my heart that there are gonna be marriages that are healed, there are gonna be families restored, there are gonna be so much learning, practical understanding of how to create culture, a, a Christ-centered culture in your family. And uh, it's going to be an amazing thing. And you know what? We don't have to be overwhelmed by the culture. We don't have to give up. We don't have to feel, uh, you know, set aside. We can live the purpose that God wants us to live in family. And, and that's one of the values here at Summit Church. We're inspiring hope for family in today's culture. And we know your family has tons of potential. And we want to help you realize that. And so get, get registered today. Be a part. And listen, if, if you'd say, hey, you know, I, I can't afford to register at this time. Listen, we, we've got scholarships available, so just let us know and we'll help you with that. Don't let money be the reason why you wouldn't receive from this conference. I'm telling you, it's going to be profound in our lives. And in and, and the last night, I'll give you a little bit of a back behind the scenes. The last night of the conference on Monday night, at the end of everything, we're going to be doing a blessing time for families. And so it's going to be an amazing thing where our ministry team is blessing families with through prayer and through declaration. And then also families are going to do that with each other. And so it's going to be a powerful, highly spiritual moment that's going to give you spiritual impetus in your family. And we believe that it'll make a huge difference throughout the rest of this fall and into next year. So I, I'm just so excited about it. And I want you to be here. I want you to be here. And you might be saying, hey, man, my family's doing great. Yeah, but some other family could use your encouragement. And you know what? We, we do life together here at Summit Church. When our church is doing something, we show up. And so I want you to be a part of it. It'll help you. It'll minister to you. And it may even give you an opportunity to help someone else. And so I would encourage you to do that. Oh, so let's get right into the Word today. We're continuing our message series called My House, and uh, we are so excited about it, and I get the opportunity to, to, to minister to you 
on the third installment of that today. And I want to talk to you around the subject of creating a Christ-centered culture in your family. So creating a Christ-centered family culture. Let's uh, get right into the Word. We're going to use our text. Uh, you'll see it right there on the screen. You can read it with me. Let's all read this together, get it right down in our spirit. And here's what it says. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Read it together with me. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to take a subtext today, which is Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12 through 21. And we're reading out of the message translation here. And I want you just to read along with me, if you will. But this is a very important scripture, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I, I think you'll really receive from it. Everyone read it together. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this is going, uh, none of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the Master. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives and don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the Master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you today for your word. And Lord, what we want to do more than anything is exalt you today. We want to lift up your name. We want to glorify you. Lord, let every word that I speak, everything that I say today, not be my words, but let them be your words. Lord, let me reflect you in this moment. Lord, just use any kind of ability that you've given me. Use it to the fullest and move me out of the way, Father. I just pray that your hand will be upon the rest of this uh, worship experience today. That, God, we will experience your word. We will experience you speaking to our hearts and speaking to our lives. And help us to be filled with hope today. Help us not to be filled with fear or feelings of overwhelm or, 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 or anxiety or stress. But help us to be filled with hope. Help us to be inspired today that we can have the family that you have, you have called us to have. That we can be the people that you have called us to be. And that you've given us the power to do so. That you didn't just say, I want you to be this. But you said, I want to give you the power and the ability and the and the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom to be able to do it. And so, Father, we just praise you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to share with you again what we really think about family. And I, I think it's important for us to understand that uh, what family is and what the purpose of family is. Because a lot of times we can talk about what family is, but we really 
we really don't get it. We, we, we think family is just, you know, I got married, I have some kids, we're going to live life, we're going to go through life, and however things turn out, that's the way it is. We're going to have some ups and downs. Now, that's what happens in life, but that doesn't mean that's the purpose of family in life. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ instituted the church. He, he stood at, with his disciples and he asked them, who do men say that I am? You can read this in Matthew chapter 16. He said, who, who do men say that I am? And the disciples begin to say, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you know, this or that. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in this moment of revelation, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was calling him the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And so Jesus said, to, to Peter, he said, you have not received this of yourself. You don't, you don't know that. You've been given revelation by God. In other words, he was saying, Peter, I'm so proud of you. God spoke to you and you heard it. And he, he gave you this revelation. And then Jesus goes on to say, and upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus instituted in that moment the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, as the Bible calls it. We are this this, this, what the Greek word is, ekklesia, which means to be called out from and gathered to. So we are those called out ones, those ones that have been called out from the world and God has gathered us and challenges us and inspires us to continue together to edify and to strengthen and to build one another up. And the purpose of the church is to, to equip the different parts of the church to do the work of the ministry. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that these gifts have been given to the church, pastor, prophet, teacher, uh, evangelist. All of these things have been given to the church for the purpose of training the church to equip, to be equipped for ministry, equipping the church to have the tools to do the ministry. So this idea that we get in our minds sometimes that, that the, the ministry is to be done by the pastor and the staff and the elders, that no, 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 the, the role of pastor, staff, elders, all of that is to equip the church to do what God has called us to do, what he's created us to do. So that's the role of the church. So what did God intend then for the family? Because God instituted the family, Father God, way back in the garden over 10,000 years ago and, 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 and more than 8,000 years from the time that Jesus instituted the church. Why, why, would, why would he do that? Well, we know he created man to worship him. We know that he created man to be in fellowship with him, to be in community again. But why did he create Why did he create, create the family? Well, he created the family first because he realized that Adam was, it was not good that Adam was alone. He didn't have someone like himself. So he took a rib from Adam. He created Eve and he put them together. They became a family. And then he gave them a, a, a mandate. He said, reproduce, fill the earth with people. And that's exactly what they did. But he created family for a reason. He, we created family because he has a message that he's trying to implement and put into the earth. And this message that he wants to put into the earth, the message of who he is, who God is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what his purpose is for mankind, what his intentions are for mankind, all of this was to be generationally disseminated by the family. You see it because in the Old Testament you hear how many times he said a prophet would be called or a leader would be called. And they would say, who do I say sends me? And he would say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How come it says that so many times? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's because God was telling us he's a generational God. 
When the Israelites were taught to take the word of God, the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament as we would know them today, and teach it to their children. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was an extreme thing. And it wasn't, hey, go to the temple and let the temple teach your kids. It was, um, you teach your kids the word of God. You bind it upon their head and upon their hands. You get them to memorize it. And so the whole function of the family, the institution of the family as far as God is concerned, is to take his message, his word, and disseminate it generation to generation to generation. So how does the church play into that then? Well, the, the, the church groups all those families and creates a faith community and equips that faith community to then do the work that they were called to do. See, and, and, and sometimes the way we've looked at this, listen, the way we've looked at this is, is we've, we've kind of turned the tables and we say to ourselves, well, it's the, i got to get my kids in church because the church will train them in godly things. No, the church should be reinforcing what you're already doing. In other words, you, you don't hand your kid, your teenager, to a youth pastor and say, help my, youth, my child to be spiritual. No, you say, will you partner with me to raise up a child, a young person, that will be on fire for God? Uh, that's the whole role of the church is to come alongside the family and partner with you to be able to accomplish the will and purpose of God. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I hate it when I say that because it sounds like everything I've said before now is not honest. Now I'm going to say something honest. It's just a, a turn of phrase. But I want to be real with you. When I think about that, and this is something that I've really just kind of gotten a revelation on in the last little bit, that totally affects my thinking. I don't know about you, but that kind of changes my approach to being a dad. When I really realize that God has given me that responsibility to lead my family spiritually, and as a mom, mom, dads and moms leading their families spiritually, and the whole family's responsibility to not just stop with one generation, but taking it to the next generation and the next generation. You know, I'm not praying just for my grandkids. I'm praying for their kids and their kids to follow Jesus. And it's the it's the way God meant for it to be. And so I just want to encourage you that let that let that sober you up in terms of your purpose as a family. I mean, I mean, seriously, let it really kind of bring conviction to your heart. It does mine. Like, am I doing everything I can to lead my family in the ways of the Lord? Am I doing everything I can to lead my family in the ways that God would have us to live and the things that God would have us to do? And am I being effective and not just surviving uh, till my kids grow up, but am I being effective in leaving a legacy, a gospel legacy or a word legacy to my kids and to their kids and to their kids? Or am I allowing the world to steal that from me? I, 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 don't, I just hate the thought that my kids wouldn't be in church, loving God, studying the Word, seeking the face of God, and finding their purpose in the Lord. And I couldn't stand the thought of my grandbabies not loving Jesus and walking with Him in the kingdom. And I, it just, it just, I just can't. If you really get an understanding of eternity, and you really get an understanding of God and who He is and what He wants for you, it just makes you think, no, I've got a, I've got a role here. I've got a role to play, and I'm going to play it well. I think one of the things that we struggle with, though, is 
the culture. You know, I'm not going to, again, this, this is about, this whole message here is about inspiring you that there is hope for family. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the negatives, but we have to be honest and say our culture is in a, in a, in a bad way. It's broken. You know, we went through the series of Nehemiah in the summer. We talked about the fallen walls and how those walls had to be rebuilt. And I really believe that that's what it's going to take. We're going to have to rebuild our culture. You know, our culture has given in to the ideas and ideologies of moral and cultural relativism. The idea that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, and there's no absolute truth. The idea that God doesn't matter and the family's not important and just live your life the way you want to live it and how it turns out, it turns out. It's a mentality that doesn't consider consequences. It's a mentality that doesn't consider eternity. It's a mentality that gives in to the basest parts of who we are. And you can look around in our culture right now, and that's what you see. You see this cultural war going on right now uh, in terms of morality. And that's what you're seeing on the outside. But the real problem isn't what's on the outside. The real problem is what's going on in the hearts of people. What's going on? It's a rejection of truth, a rejection of God. And so we feel overwhelmed by it because it feels like that these negatives in the culture are being shoved down our throat. And this is the way it should be. And don't believe the Bible and don't believe those Christians. And they're radical and they're crazy and they're over the top. This is the real truth. Whatever you want truth to be for you. And the, the, the real truth is the Word of God. And we know what the Word of God says. And there are a lot of times people ask me, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? Because this is what's going on in our culture. I have someone in my family that this, this, this way or that way or whatever. Or, or they're mad about this or they're upset about this or they believe this or believe that. And here's what I always do. I don't go to my opinion. I don't go to my philosophies. I don't go to my politics or whatever you want to, whatever your, you know, go-to is or mine. I go to one place the truth. I go to the Word of God. What does God say? And we're not going to have the argument about is this valid or not? Is this really the Word of God? Is it just an allegory? Is it literal? If you any, have any kind of intelligence at all, you know that there's a lot of different literary uh, uh, parts of the Bible. So there's a lot of it that is exactly literal. There are some allegorical stories in the Bible. There are There is some poetry in the Bible. There is some narrative in the Bible. There's different things in the Bible, but it's all truth, and it's all pointing to singular truth in Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't, then how has it made it through all of history when so many have tried to destroy it? And how does it correlate and, and come together to produce one message, Old Testament and New Testament together? It just does because it's inspired and it is truth. And you know what? The Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word will last forever. And those who believe in his word will live forever. So people can believe what they want. What I'm encouraging you to do today is don't be overwhelmed by culture. You know, culture changes. Society changes. Look how far we've changed. And if it changed to this point in this direction, why can't it change in another direction? Why can't we influence culture? And I just want to say this as a prerequisite to the rest of this message. You need to understand Christians have never been accepted in the culture and we're not supposed to be accepted in the culture 
This is not junior high. This is not high school where, you, you know, unless you're in junior high and high school. But it's not. It's not. Life is not that where you want to be the popular kids. Listen, Christianity was meant. It was built. It was created to go counter to the culture. Jesus said, look, they don't love me. They hated me. They're, they're not going to like you so much either. I'm not saying that we're trying to be unliked or that we're trying to be people who would not be likable. I'm just saying if, if the world and the spirit of this age and the attitude of, that's in our culture today that is so rejecting of God, why would they be accepting of us who believe in him and follow his ways? So let's just get over that we have to be accepted by culture, and let's just listen to what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then go on to verse 2, where it says, Be not conformed. Don't be made like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that our whole goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus, not conformed into the image of the world. The Bible says in 1 John that love not the world, nor the things of the world. For if a man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is the world? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the world. We don't hate people in the world. We don't dislike people. We're not coming against people, but we're coming against that spirit. And our lives, bearing the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, temperance, meekness, faith, all of those things bearing out of us goes counter to the culture. When other people are hating, we're loving. Goes counter to the culture. When other people are stressed, no end, and we have peace, it's counter to the culture. When everyone is chasing philosophies and ideologies that are Founded in immorality and lifestyle choices, we are sticking with the truth. It goes counter to the culture. When other people won't love people because they're different, we love people no matter what. Why? It's counter to the culture. Why? Because we're not made from this world. You need to understand we're citizens of this world, but we're more importantly citizens of heaven. We're just passing through here. Our biology, our DNA was changed when we got saved. That's why we use the word regenerated. You could say it this way, regenerated. Our DNA spiritually was changed. Our spirit was dormant and Jesus resurrected our spirit. When his Holy Spirit touched our spirit, when we asked him to come into our life, it changed things. It changed things. He made you different than the world. You were born again. So I lay all that groundwork just to say, let's get over wanting to be accepted by the world. Let's get over having to be like the world. And you may have people in your life that you really love that are, that are friends, and I encourage you to continue to have those friends and lead them to Jesus and lead them to be like Jesus. But don't give in, if they're being like the world, to their way of living. Stick with God's way of living because he's the one who saved you. He's the one who's changed you and nobody else has. And so let's just remember that as we study this today, because here's what I believe. I believe if we're going to change our culture and maybe maybe let's not even say change the world's culture. Let's say we're going to impact the culture. We're going to make a difference on the world's culture. We're going to bring truth and life and love and grace into the culture today. In other words, we're going to shine a light where darkness seems like it's prevailing. Let's remember something. 
we are not overwhelmed by the darkness because light cannot be overwhelmed by the darkness. You can be in the darkest room ever and switch on a little bitty light and darkness just runs away from that light. You need to understand where, where sin is in abundance, grace is much more abundant. So let's not think defeat. Let's not think being overwhelmed. Let's not think being, how can I raise kids in this culture? Let's think, no, let's follow the ways of Jesus and see how our family can positively impact the families of today that don't know Jesus or aren't in a relationship with him. Man, I, I'm so excited about this because I really believe that if we as Christian families will start doing what God's purpose is for us to do, then it will impact and affect the world's culture. People's lives will be changed. People will get saved. People will rededicate their lives to the Lord. Lukewarm Christians will get on fire for God. Lost loved ones will come home to the family of God. Why? Because, because we've made a decision that we are going to follow God's ways. So how do we do that? We create a Christ-centered culture in our family. So in other words, we create families who are centered around Christ. I love what this passage of Scripture says. In, in, if you, I want you to go read that in the message again later in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and just read that whole little passage of Scripture that we just read and just ask yourself if that's the way the world was how beautiful a place it would be if that's the way my family functioned. How beautiful a home we would have and a family we would have. If that's the way my church community actually operated, how blessed would we be? Look at that. Read it. And I think there's a couple of things we need to draw from that passage of Scripture. And one of them is this. Let the Word of Christ have run of the house. Give it plenty of room. In other words, we need to let Jesus' word, his, this word right here, the Bible, we need to give it full reign in our homes. It doesn't need to be something secondary. It doesn't mean, need to be something that is, that's gathering dust on a shelf. It needs to be something that's active and alive in our lives. It's not just the word that changes us, but it's the doing of the word that changes us. The Bible says in James, don't be a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the work. So it's important that we not just hear the word, but we give the word room. In other words, when I have a certain ideology or thought, I run it against the word of God. I set it up against the context of the word of God, and I ask myself, am I thinking right? And if it doesn't line up with the word, then the answer is no. If it does line up the word, then the answer is yes. We need to give the word room in our house so our kids will grow up turning to the word of God, believing the word of God, taking into account the word of God. The next thing I think we should draw from this passage of Scripture is our lives, actions, attitudes, and words should be filtered through Jesus. What is a culture? Well, a culture is basically the norms, the values, the ways of doing things, the ways of living that a person has. That's, that's your culture. Uh, how I think, what my, the filter of the world, how I see the world, that's your culture. So what we want to do is we want to create a Christ-centered culture so that our actions and our attitudes and our mindsets and everything that we do is filtered through Christ. In other words, before we go off at the mouth politically, 
we filter that through Christ. Before we run off at the mouth angrily in our family, we filter ourselves through Christ. We filter our thoughts through Christ. Before we get frustrated with our spouse and tell them what we're thinking, we filter that through Christ. The purpose and vision, as Pastor Scotty taught us last week, um, of the family, that should be filtered through Christ. In other words, we're not just going to live our family and ask God to bless it. No, we're going to say, God, what is the purpose for our family? And then we're going to live that out. So here are some first steps to creating a Christ-centered culture. Number one, know God. Now, you know that our vision here at Summit Church is we're leading people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. But I just want to talk about knowing God for a minute. And here's why. Because it's not enough to know about God. And in other words, if you really want to have a Christ-centered Family, you need to understand something. The Word of God is not about education. It's not about information. It's about revelation. It's about inspiration. In other words, God's just not giving you a book to teach you how to act morally. He's giving you a word that was breathed literally out of His mouth so that you will be transformed from the inside out. That's why it says we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind changes from the worldly way of thinking to the godly way of thinking when we have a relationship with Jesus and we take in his word. You can be religious. You can check the boxes, go to church, uh, you know, do a Bible devotion once in a while, uh, you know, be, serve in the community, whatever the case may be. But if you don't know Jesus, then you're going to stand before God someday and none of that's going to matter. You've got to know him. You have to have a relationship with him. And you want your family to have a relationship with him. Being religious won't get it done. I'm sorry. I wish maybe that it did because it would be easier to understand for us as humans. But knowing God and allowing him to change us is what really makes it happen. A relationship with Jesus is the beginning of creating a Christ-centered culture in your family. The second thing is, if the first thing is know God, the second thing is first God. And here's what I mean by that. You don't just need to have a relationship with God, but you need to put God first. You know, I think a lot of times we understand God as our Savior, but we reject God as our Lord. Or we've forgotten what that word Lord means. He said, many, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And I'm going to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. Because we've, given, we've accepted that Jesus could be our Savior, but we don't really want him running our life. And the truth is, if you really want to create a a Christ-centered culture for your family, it's know God and first God. In other words, don't have a relationship with God only, but put God first. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, this is the first and greatest commandment. I want you to listen to that. For, we, we, we say it so quickly. We say it in passing, but I want you to really get a hold of this. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the number one thing you would tell us to do? He said, I would tell you this, love the Lord your God. Well, well that, that seems pretty easy. I feel great about God. I love God. I have good feelings about God. That's not what he was saying at all. Because he goes on to include the whole picture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your spirit, your inward man. Love him with all your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Love him with all your strength, your physical body. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
He's saying give your whole self to God. Not a little bit of yourself, not a compartment of yourself, not a little piece of your family, but give your whole family to God. And then when you put him first, it changes everything. The third thing is to create this culture of Christ-centeredness in your family is God's house. God's house. Being consistently engaged in corporate worship and being taught the word has a profound effect on your marriage and on your family. It's an absolute fact. Now, it's a fact because that's what the word says. Why do we come together? Why is worship so important? Why are our worship experiences so important? I'm not even going to say going to church because that's, that's not even a good thing. We're the church. We go to worship, right? We're the church, but we gather to worship. So when we come together, it's just all the church getting together to exalt God. Like literally, if we didn't do anything else at church except just exalt God, that would be worth it because that's what we're supposed to do. And it lifts us. The Bible, every time it says gather together as the church, it says edify, edify, edify. In other words, build one another up in your faith. Come on and learn. You're learning the scripture. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn. So this is why we go to the house of God. But what kind of effect does it have on us? Well, I'm just going to tell you, uh, there, was a, there was an article that I read out of first, uh, fo Focus on the Family, a James Dobson's organization. And he was just basically quoting a 2016 Harvard study. Now, this is, this is from Harvard University uh, in 2016. And here's what it says. It revealed that couples who regularly attend religious services together have a 47% lower likelihood of divorcing than couples who do not. Other studies, according to these scholars, have similar results ranging from 30% to 50% reduction in divorce risk. Happily, this holds true for husbands and wives of all races. Think about that. If someone discovered a special pill that would cut the risk of divorce by 30 to 50%, it'd be among the most popular, regularly used medicines on the earth. All couples should know that there is such a cure. I love this article. I love it. And, and the cure is this, attending church with your family, attending worship with your family. I mean, think about that. How much as divorce cost us? And I'm so sorry for people who have gone through that. And God can restore and he can heal and he will. But let me just tell you, it's a horrible thing. It's a hard thing. It's a tearing of each other. It's a ripping apart. And not only of just the couple, but the family. And so it's very difficult. And it has cost us a lot in our culture. It's cost us a lot in the church. It's cost us a lot in our families. And if we had a fix for that, wouldn't you be like, I'm, I'm in on it. I'm getting the fix for that. Well, well, literally, literally 30 to 50% decrease in the chances that you'll be divorced just by gathering for worship. I mean, that is not from, that's not from some church doing that. That was a research study that was done clinically by Harvard University. I think that's pretty powerful. And that was in 2016. That wasn't like decades and decades ago. That was 2016. The fourth thing is God's people, being around God's people. If you want to create a culture of Christ-centeredness in your family, be around God's people. Now, I know we've got a lot of friends. And listen, how are we going to get the world saved if we don't have friends that aren't saved? Honestly, I, I am. But 
you, you need to understand that your closest friends, your covenant friends, the friends that, that are the closest to you, those people need to be believers. That community of believers needs to be the closest friends you have. Why? Because they understand. They get it. They build up. They strengthen. They edify. Whereas community outside the, the faith is community that we should be looking at as praying for them, loving them, caring for them, trying to get them into the family of faith. But we can't look to them to bolster us spiritually. We can't look to them to edify us spiritually because they can't. God's people, friendships with believers are like a support group to positively reinforce the good things in your life and hold you accountable spiritually through relationships. That's why we do small groups. But I'm not just talking about small groups today. I'm just talking about friendships. It's why we serve together in the church. It's why we have friendships together of other believers, whether in our own uh, gathering, our own church, or friends that go to other churches. We have relationships with believers because they strengthen us and they encourage us. We need to really make this. We need to really make this a point, And we really need to understand it. I can remember from... As a child, now my dad was a pastor, of course, but he had some really good Christian friends. And those friends meant a lot to me all my growing up years. And some of them even made the difference in my life because I was around my parents and their friendship. You want the people that are engaging with your family, your family engaging with their family. You want those to be people who are dedicated and committed to Jesus Christ. Because if you want to have a Christ-centered family that's fulfilling and living out the purpose of God in your life, then you're, you're the, thing, the, the people that are influencing you are very important. I mean, you talk to any business leader, any executive coach out there, a life coach out there, here's what they'll tell you. You show me your five best friends and I'll show you your future. Because people are the average of their five closest relationships. And that's a fact. We are very much affected by the relationships that we have. All of this Christ-centered culture is a culture of love. You know, the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians, it defines love. And I just want to read the definition for you if I can because it's so powerful. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Love isn't... Uh, doesn't fly off the handle. Hello. Uh, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Oh, man. How many marriages have broken up because we're keeping score? You did this and you did that. Well, you did this. It's so silly. Love doesn't do that. Love forgives. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowing of truth. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back. It keeps going to the end. You know, Paul said, I could be the most important person. I could say the most profound things. I could do the most generous outreaches. But if I don't have love, and if I'm not doing it all out of a heart of love, then I'm nothing. I want to encourage you today that a Christ-centered relationship produces love. It doesn't produce hate. It doesn't produce division. And listen, love is that like the Bible says, all-purpose garment that you always wear. It's that staple garment that you always have on. You want to have love on. You want to be, you want to be draped in love. 
And listen, if you want your kids to make it in life, teach them what love really means. And we know loving God means to obey God. Loving your parents means to obey your parents. Loving your friends means to be in harmony and unity and care about them. It's the full-on definition of love to be Christ-centered. You know, that's what a Christ-centered culture looks like. One that thinks of others before themselves. One that cares about others before themselves. One that isn't selfish or self-centered, but one that is Christ-centered. And not one that's even people-centered. You're not trying to get people-centered where you make people the center of your world and you're doing everything to approve, get people approval and you're doing everything to fit into the right group. But no, but if you'll be Christ-centered, then you can love those people at a whole nother level without being affected negatively by them. We want a culture that says, I lay my past at the foot of the cross. I lay my worldly attitudes at the foot of the cross. I lay my family at the foot of the cross. And we take on the character of the one who died on the cross. Not just by discipline, but by believing in him. Who he is and what he does and why he created us. Let me just say this as I close. Let me just say this. It's important for us to realize that we can't teach culture. It'd be great if we could say, all right, kids, this is how we're going to be. And you've tried this. You've tried this. You've, you've tried, kids, this is what you can and can't do. This is what you should and shouldn't do. And all those things are good. It's good to teach your kids. It's good to train your kids. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us teach and train our kids in the nurture of the Lord. But culture, the norms, the values, the way we behave, the way we respond, the way we do things cannot be taught it's like Pastor Scotty taught last week. Some things are more caught than taught. Well, culture can't be taught. It can only be lived. If you want to have a Christ-centered culture as a parent, and you want your family to have a Christ-centered culture, then you have to be Christ-centered yourself. That's just the bottom line. You can't say, this is what I want the culture of my family to be. You just have to live that culture. It'd be great if we could just say, everybody, you're going to do this because this is the way we should do. And they do it. But we all know that leadership is about modeling. It's about living it out. It's about doing it. And so I want to encourage you that Christ-centeredness for our family results as Christ-centeredness from the individuals of that family. You know, uh, I, can, I can give you different examples in our own family. You know, uh, the other day when we were up here at early morning prayer, my, I was up here at 5.30, and then a little while later, uh, my daughter Taylor's family came in, and with, with her, my little uh, uh, granddaughter, Lindley, she's four years old, and she just walked right up to the front row where I was praying, and she just cr crawled up in my lap and just buried her head in my chest, and just I just sat and prayed for her for about five minutes, and just the Lord just really ministered to me and ministered to her, and it really gave me an example of what it's like to crawl up into Father God's lap. And just let him embrace me and hold me in times where I feel overwhelmed. And I just need to bury my head into his shoulder and say, God, help me. And that really is what prayer is. And that was just an analogy that the Holy Spirit gave me as she did that. But why did she do that? Why was that her action? Why, why, why didn't she come up and say, hey, Poppy, you want to do this? Or, hey, Poppy, you want to do that? No, because they've been bringing her to prayer. And they've been praying with her. 
And that's why she came and got up in my lap and prayed with me. See, when we live out the culture of Christ-centeredness, it gets on everybody around us. And our kids pick it up, and our spouse picks it up, and our family picks it up. See, this is the hope of changing culture. This is the hope of impacting darkness with light. This is the hope of changing the world as we know it. This is the hope of regaining. Listen, don't think that back in Jesus' day they weren't perverse. Don't think back in Jesus' day they weren't dishonest and mean and violent and hateful. They had the same sin then that we have now. He made an impact on that world. How? His love and his life. He was centered around the principles of his purpose. And that's what God is calling us to do as family. You can do this. You can be Christ-centered. You can live this life in such a way that it not only affects you, but it affects your spouse and it affects your kids and it affects your family and it affects your generations. And your kids grow up giving all for God because you gave all for God. Listen, don't look back and say, I wish I had. Look back and say, I'm glad I did. You know, I remember Sydney was really shy when she was young. I mean, really shy. She'd hide behind me. She wouldn't even talk to an adult. She'd hide behind my leg. And we just would pray about things like that. She, I was asking her about things in, in her growing up uh, the other day. And she said, "This is I remember you guys praying with me about my shyness. You know, it was a normal thing in our family, still is a normal thing, but when something go, is off or something's not right, we go to prayer. It's just automatic. We go to prayer. We stop and we pray. Uh, we find scriptures and we encourage one another. It's not uncommon for me if you said something to me about, hey, this is going on in my life, will you pray about it? And I'll pray about it. And then you, it will not be uncommon for you to start getting scriptures from me. Hey, just think on this today or pray about this today or think about this today. Because it's just a natural way. It's our culture. It's centered around Christ. Is that our first thought? Is that the first thought? Go to Jesus. Is the first thought? Go to the Word. Is the first thought? Seek out God's purpose. What's God's will on this? What does God have to say about this? When you create that kind of Christ-centered culture, that's the direction your whole family, that's when you leave a generational legacy. You know, steps of faith, it's normal for us. Like when I go to my family and say, hey, look, here's what I believe God wants us to do. It doesn't matter how big a deal it is or how hard it's going to be. We may all go, well, what about this and what about that? And we may process it. But everybody in the family is going, you know, we're, we're going to start going to Africa. All right, let's go. We're going to start going to uh, Cambodia. Let's go. Let's, we're going to go to Ethiopia. Let's go. All these places that, honestly, we were fearful of and had been fearful of. We, we stopped being fearful. We, set, we, we, we set our faith. It was going to require all kinds of money to be raised for years and years and years and years. It's going to be, require all kinds of faith to just, you know, when, when, when Janae, she has this struggle with flying, and especially flying that far. It's a struggle for her, but she steps out in faith and does it. And you know why? Because she had that attitude and I had that mentality. You know what happened? Our girls have never been afraid. They're like, yes, let's go. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. Create a Christ-centered culture, and it becomes the norm for your family. Getting out of comfort zone becomes a norm because we're used to stepping out in faith. Doing something that everybody else isn't doing, but we know is the thing God wants us to do. Our family comes along. Why? Because we're Christ-centered, and we know. This is the way we do. Come on, that's the way we live. That's what a culture is, and that's what's going to change the world. So I just want to say this. It's not just about teaching or training our kids about Jesus. That's part of it. But, but you want to create a Christ-centered culture in your home. The norms, the behaviors, the atmosphere, the values, 
all flowing from Christ-centeredness. You know, what it does is it creates a Christian worldview. In other words, your family starts seeing the world through Christ. Um, meaningful life. It causes your life to be more meaningful because your family is attached to something greater than itself. It creates a stability and a consistency and a, a, a life that is not easily pushed around. Isn't that what you want for your kids? To grow up in this world and not let the world push them around, but to have convictions and to be strong and to move forward. This is how you do that, by creating a Christ-centered culture in your family. It's a quick-to-forgive mindset. In other words, I love you and I forgive you regardless. If we're to impact the world's culture, Bottom line, it will happen as we develop homes that have a Christ-centered culture, who aren't influenced predominantly by the world's culture, but by the culture of Jesus Christ. When this happens, it will change things positively for our family, but also for every one of our family's influences. Now listen, look at all the division in the world right now. Look at the hate that is perpetrated and propagated every day in our world for different reasons and different issues. But think about this. If all the believers in the world right now would say, you know what, I have a culture of my own. I have a way of being of my own. I have an ethnicity. I have a socioeconomic background. I have a, uh, an environment that I was brought up in. And I can either say, I'm standing for that and I want everybody to bend to that or I can go to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I lay myself, my culture, my ideologies, my philosophies, my everything, I lay it down here at the foot of your cross and I give it to you. And I pick up the culture of Christianity, the culture of the cross, the culture that says, I surrender all to you to allow you to live this ever-vescent, ever-loving, powerful, precious purpose that you have for me. That's the culture of Christianity, and that's what will change the world. Father, we thank you today for your word. And Lord, I just pray for every family that is watching this, every family that's a part of our online campus. I pray, God, for every family in our church, every family that calls Summit Church home, Lord, I pray for every believing family in the world that, Lord, we will chase lukewarmness out of our life. We will chase backsliddenness out of our life. We will chase spiritual mediocrity and apathy and indifference out of our life by simply surrendering to the culture of the cross. That we would raise our families in the culture of Christianity, in the culture of Christ. Let us not be religious but let us be in relationship with you. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you will do a work in us that will shine a light in a dark world, that we will be that city that sits on the hill that cannot be hid, that we will be that light that will not be put under a bushel, but will illuminate the whole house, and we'll be that salt of the earth that, that gives God flavor to the world in Jesus' name. And Father, help us to get over needing to be like the world. Help us to get over wanting to be accepted by the temporary world that changes. Instead, help us to love being accepted by the God who created us, who saved us, 
and who never changes. Is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We praise you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.